If you want to pump your body and expand your mind, there's only one place to go. Mind Pump. Mind Pump. With your hosts, Sal Stefano, Adam Schaefer, and Justin Andrews. In this episode, this one of Mind Pump. For the first 40 minutes, we do our introductory conversation. Introductory. We start by talking about Organifi and how much they have grown with Mind Pump. Uh, I think, Yeah, kicking ass. Yeah, we get our little reports and it looks like our audience is loving their products. And Adam thinks it's because of my, hango- <laughs> my hangover remedy, which includes the Organifi probiotics. It's kind of funny. Hmm. If you go to Organifi.com forward slash Mind Pump I wonder. and enter the code Mind Pump, You'll get 20% off. Then we talked about vacation frustrations. That's a <laughs> that nice rhymed. Yeah, that's like pretty that. good. Yeah. We talk about the power of being a victim. That's right. People find power in it. And the value hmm. of self-responsibility. We got a little ranty on that part of this episode. Good fun, though. Kind of a little motivational soapbox That's time. right. Then we talked about the butt-building blog and mistakes people make when they try to build their butt. Um, and Adam's disappointing Everly Well uh, testosterone test. Everlywell does hormone tests. They did their job well. I they did their job well. It's okay. It's going up. It's going up. It's changing. I feel like some uh, sad music. Everlywell sends these tests to your home. You can test your hormones. You can test your gut. A lot of different at-home tests. They are one of our sponsors. If you go to everlywell.com and use the code MindPump, you will get 15% off any test. Then we get into the questions. The first question was, does the amount of protein you eat in a sitting matter? For example, this person's whole uh, heard the old saying that you can't utilize more than 30 grams of protein at a sitting. What? Yeah, so could you just eat a shit ton of meat uh, all like at once? specifically. And not get fat because yeah, you don't absorb 30 it? 30 grams. Is it a myth? Yes, it is. Find out why in that part of this episode. The next question was, can using lifting straps during farmer walks be beneficial or is it counterproductive? What is our stance on lifting straps in general and in particular with the farmer walks. Hmm. Next question was, uh, what order of operation do we follow for getting someone healthy? For example, nutrition, walking, workout, sleep, etc. Which one comes first and why? A uh, little debate in that part of this episode. And the last question, this person's parents are having trouble losing weight due to their age and slow metabolism. And they're in their early 50s. Is that a viable excuse or are they just trying to make excuses? Suck it up, buttercup. That's right. Also, Maps Strong is available now at mapsstrong.com. It's our newest program. It is a strongman-inspired workout program. Uh, the, it is fun. It is functional. It is different. Uh, but you can do it in any gym. All you need is barbells, dumbbells, squat rack, adjustable bench. Uh, trap bar is preferable but not necessary. So basically, most of you could do this. It is different. It is advanced, though. I will say it is an advanced program. For the rest of you, we recommend that you start in a program like MAPS Anabolic. It's not for um, sissies. That's right. We also have bundles like our MAPS Super Bundle. This is a year of programming all planned out I for like you. Sissy a full year of programming. It's our Super Bundle. You can find that at mapsfitnessproducts.com, and you can also find MAPS Strong at mapsstrong.com. Dude, you guys see the uh, the so obviously we're sponsored by Organifi. Um, the and every week we get a report. Yeah. On uh, how I guess well we're performing. So when you have a spot a podcast and you get sponsored, you work with sponsors. There's different there's different ways you get compensated, and, and a lot of times we're let you competitive. Know. Yeah, and a lot of times they'll let you know like this is how how many people uh, have come over to our site because of your show and this that and the other. Yeah. And um, 
you know, over the, the period, how long have we been working with Organifi now? Almost it's, a year. Yeah. Like over a full the, year. Over the year, we've seen our, it, we've seen it steadily grow. And I think part of it is our, our show grows, but I think the other part of it oh, is- a quality product. A lot of people are going back. Yeah. A lot of people are going back and telling other people and using our, our well, there's discount initial, code. Yeah, there's initial reserve because it's a, a higher price type of a, a, a product. And we mm-hmm. knew that kind of going in, which, you know, there's, there's a little bit of that, like- Competitive wise, you can go to a, you know like a Costco or like one of these other like a Walmart or something. Get sure. like a protein powder, right? right, like, right, like right. Everybody could do that, but you know, like if we're gonna put our name on something, it's gotta have well, you know, I, substance. I attribute it to your your hangover remedy because that was about two months ago or so <laughs> when you first is that, inter- is that what's going when on when you introduced it to I'm all taking of us. Taking the probiotic because let's be honest, dude. Let's be uh, honest. It's, everybody, it's a hack. Yeah, there's everybody. Everybody likes to have an occasional drink. There's very few people probably listening. I'm yeah. one of the few people that don't. I don't like to drink. I rarely ever drink. Yeah, I think and, I've influenced you guys. And I have I have been able to drink more in the last year because of your little hack of the charcoal and the probiotic uh, combination. Yeah. And yeah. it's but been, we got to be careful. Don't put, I don't want I, people to go uh, you know go crazy now and be like we're oh. honest. We just listen. You're not trying to say it's backed by science or it's fucking for sure. But it's, it's my anecdote. It's no, no, fucking no. working for me. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's true. And I've gotten DMs from people that have done the same thing and they said fucking it works. It's for weird. Them. Yeah, it's totally weird. It and you're right, Justin. We are yeah. influencing each other, yeah. except in the bad ways. Like, I know, right? <laughs> Adam, and, Adam and I influenced I think it's good you. and bad ways. We influenced you because yeah. now you consume cannabis, and you influenced oh. us, and we drink more now. What yeah. the fuck Can is I going tell on? You, it was like two weeks. Way to go, health, po- health, health podcast. Yeah. Wait a minute. You yeah, had yeah. no cannabis no for two cannabis weeks? No cannabis for two weeks. How right? was it? I feel so sharp. Yeah. <laughs> See? <laughs> Do they- See? Not yeah, a lot, I know. Not a lot of weed smoking over there? Not a lot of weed smoking over there? None. 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 Is it illegal? Yeah. I yeah, it's legal. Yeah, yeah I think wow. so. Yeah, I yeah. think so. I don't think it's super illegal, but it's a, it's a, Yeah, it's but legal. I'm sure like there's yeah, there must be some like medical places like yeah. you can get it, but I don't I didn't see any. So you said you feel sharper? Yeah. Did did you get really vivid dreams after not having it for about 5 or 6 days? Yeah. Yeah, that's a that's a withdrawal. That, that's from that, huh? That's withdrawal. Oh man. Yeah. Isn't that weird? Do you have weird dreams? Yeah, like they're very detailed and and like oh, you, a little you, more sexual than normal. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me about the one what with Adam. What does that mean? Say, oh, I, I, I want to hear about the one with Adam. Uh, oh, that one. I don't want to get into that. You dude. know how fascinated he he's, is. He's here me. in the room with us. Yeah. yeah. I don't want to get into that. That's, that's awkward. He no, gets, but he gets turned yeah. on by those but it's, stories. It's, it's definitely something you can yeah. you can overuse, and when you overuse it, you're just not as sharp. You yeah, know what I mean? You're just not. I, I, but, but, but on the on the flip side of that, though, like it does help me to like if you know to, to, to calm down my my ever spinning mind you know yeah, so it's, yeah. it's a great tool for that hey you know i didn't get a chance to ask you because we talked about all the positive things of the trip but normally when you travel that far there's some frustrating shit that happens any mm. fights or any fucking you didn't you didn't want to chuck your wife out the out the <laughs> oh window God. one time oh man i mean travel dude traveling yeah. that far is it's stressful and being together every single day as, as lovey and connecting as always let's be fucking real yeah but there's no work no um, kids it's kind of a good environment well no i'm know? curious did you overall, have overall it was great but yeah there I mean, there were some little moments where I we separated. We were like, okay, I'm doing my fucking thing over here. You know, <laughs> you're doing your thing. Oh, you guys went different ways at one point. Yeah, we, we had our own space where we were like, she was reading a book, and I was kind of like in my own space doing my own thing. And like, I... You know what? One Playing of the, hand puppets. Yeah, I wanted to go out, dude. Like I'm, I'm like a social guy, uh-huh, you know, and yeah. like I, I like to like be amongst people and, and like you know get into live music and you know and that's not her thing at all. Yeah. And so the first, the one of the moments was like, I, I'm in Dublin right now, right? This is like the place you go to go out and like you know experience like awesome music and like people are like 
crazy and awesome like and you want to party like i wanted to fucking party yeah, yeah. she did not want to party you yeah. know so we got into a little rift there but then I, I actually just like i was like you know what like this is all just me like i want this like i was like so i just like you know i was like yeah, I'm, I'm fine so i but yeah that was probably it oh yeah. that's a very yeah that was really it that's a great evolved way of thinking yeah i like that yeah, yeah. i think as you especially when you're with someone for a long time or maybe if you get as you get older you start to say those things, whereas when you're younger, you're like, fuck you, man. Yeah. It's all about me. You don't want to do anything I want to do. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> you know, I caught myself. Like, well, it's cool when you've been in a, in a marriage as long as you guys have. You guys have been together 10 years. Right? This is a 10-year anniversary yeah. for you guys. Is you, you start to get, and not everybody, but it's I think it's healthy when you see couples like yourself who can do that. Be like, hey, you know what? Like, You want to do that. I want to do that. Because I'm going to go do this and you're going to do that doesn't mean we love each other less. Mm-hmm. Doesn't mean we can't go enjoy. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? We got 14 days together. Fucking one day yeah. of you going your direction and me going my direction. Cuddle the whole time. Right. right. It doesn't yeah. have. I think there's nothing wrong with that. Was important to That's me. That's security. It, yeah, they, that was important to me in my relationship. Is your independence? And I wanted a woman that wanted independence that way too, because because you valued your own. Right. Yeah. yeah it's a, uh, it's an important aspect of a relationship. Otherwise, it's um, it's just insecurity. Is I think what ends mm. up driving people to feel like they have to do everything together and they can't separate and they can't like their own things. Mm -hmm. And that's not a good thing. You don't want to, you definitely want to create an identity together as a family, but you want to maintain your own identity. Otherwise you can get lost. And you know, here, you know, and I've seen really bad effects from people who lose their identity because they become, you know, codependent mom or wife or dad or husband. Mm -hmm. And they're, they don't have their own individual Independence. It's, uh, it happens. It's easy to happen. Happens. You know? Happens it, all the time. You just pour yourself into you know that role, and and it just becomes who you are. And then yeah, you start eliminating like what used to make you uh, tick. You know, back in the day, and you lose sort of like some of the passion there. So yeah, I'm I'm always constantly kind of evaluating that and trying to make sure that I keep you know some of those things I really enjoy and like you know what makes me tick. Like I want to keep that involved. You know, in what awesome. I'm doing. Did you guys see the uh, the article in the forum yesterday that got all the heat? There's all kinds of comments all over it. Which one was? We it? had a lot of things that were going on fire yeah, last day. So, so this this one, which was pretty insane, and, and oh, and then there's another a story related to this that I'll, I'll tell you guys. So, someone posts an article, and it's this woman who wrote this whole article saying that men are 100 percent responsible for unwanted pregnancies. So, huh? yeah. What? Yeah, exactly. She writes this whole article saying that men are 100% responsible for unwanted pregnancies because women are only fertile so many many times during the month and men are 100% responsible for their ejaculations. And so therefore, we are 100% responsible for unwanted pregnancies. And of course, you know, it stirred up a little bit of debate. I got very irritated. Because it highlights the, and it's not because I'm Did a man. Anybody on our forum agree with that? We have a lot of smart no, people. I'm no. gonna say our forum is way too smart. There was one person that was there was one person that was agreeing yeah, with segments of the argument, but was also saying that it went too far. But 99 percent of everybody was like, "This is," and that's why the person posted it. The person posted it saying, "Hey, this is stupid. Why would you? Why would you say this? You're." You're victimizing uh, women. You're making men the oppressor, and you're also eliminating the responsibility that a woman has uh, for herself as right. well. Yeah. And this has nothing it's to do with- a two-way street. Yeah, and it irritates me, not because I'm a man. It irritates me because oh. it highlights what is happening with this victimhood uh, mentality right now. And I had another experience in San Diego with Jessica. So we were at a restaurant, and we're sitting there eating, and next to us there were these two older guys, probably in their, I'd say in their 60s, and they were drinking wine and getting a little loud, but nothing obnoxious or- 
they're just having a good time and having great conversation. Well, the guy, uh, one of the one of the men, was talking about how his wife uh, has cancer and how you know she you know she got tested for this particular gene. I think it's called the I think it's called the BRAC gene. If I'm not mistaken, maybe maybe hmm. Doug could look it up if uh, if, you, if you have a second. It's it's a gene that if you have it, it'll say that your uh, your chances of getting breast cancer are higher. But she didn't have it, and they went back and forth, and then they got into the discussion about. You know, I don't know why doctors tell women that they should remove their breasts if they have this gene because it's not 100%. And so they're getting this, this this whole discussion. Well, while they're talking, it's a BRCA gene. Sorry, uh, BRCA gene. Um, while they're talking, this girl who's maybe, I don't know, 20-something, walks over to them while they're having a conversation. She goes, excuse me. And the guy looks at her like, oh, you know, how can I help you? And she goes... I can hear what you're saying. I'm waiting for, to go to the bathroom. She's right next to them. So it's not like he's screaming. And she's like, <laughs> and I find what you're saying extremely offensive. She's like, nobody, nobody tells you what you should do with your testicles. So I don't think you should tell women what they, and the guy's like, huh? And he goes, my wife's got cancer. She's going through oh my God. therapy right now. Like I'm talking to my friend and he's like, look, I apologize. I'm not trying to, and she's fucking berating this guy. Now, Jessica is fuming. Oh, I bet she, <laughs> she's fuming at the mouth. And I'm looking at Jess and I'm like, yeah. just let's stay yeah. out of it for a second. Like, don't say anything. <laughs> yeah, wait. But she, but she can't. Get her, Jess. She no. can't. Get her, Jess. So she says, I would totally be egging it on if like I was there. So she tells the girl, she goes, excuse me. She goes, he was talking to his friend. He's not talking to you. You need to stay out of the conference. So she starts talking. The girl's friend looks at Jessica like, we're leaving right now. She's like, well, you need to leave right now. And I looked at my Jess and I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, keep it. You know, it's all good. So this poor guy is getting hammered having his own conversation with a girl that's saying, you have no opinion because you're blah, 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 and I'm a victim and all blah, 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 which was insane. She leaves when they're getting ready to pay the bill. I tell the guy, and I'm like, hey, man, I'm like, you weren't, you weren't being offensive. You weren't that loud, and plus you're having a private conversation. And he goes, look, man, he goes, you know, I'm going through it right now. My wife's having – and I could tell. I could feel this guy's pain, yeah. and I could see why he was having this conversation. Yeah. And, I, and it just – again, it's highlighting this interesting phenomena of victimization that's happening. Ugh. And, you know, it's funny. I, I read an article today uh, that talked about Carl Jung, who's this uh, famous, uh, you know, psychoanalyst. He's, he's like one of the fathers of modern psychology. And he had an experience when he was 12 where he was at school, didn't like school. He got picked on by a bully. Bully pushed him down. He lost consciousness for a second. And obviously a very intelligent guy, Carl Jung was brilliant, immediately became aware that he liked the fact that he got pushed down because now maybe he doesn't have to go to school anymore. So then mm. following days going to school, he would have these fainting spells where he would pass out and his parents pulled him from school. And then he realized he wasn't as happy as he thought without this much responsibility and this, but he would still get these fainting spells when he would apply himself. Then he was in the garden one day and overheard his dad talking to someone and the person talking to his dad's like, how's your son doing? Talking about Carl. And he said, Oh, it's, you know, it's really sad what's going on with him. I don't know how he's going to be able to take care of himself with this. He's not going to be able to support himself. So Carl Jung at that moment is like, like, this isn't right. I need to do something about it. Went and pushed himself to study, fainted a few more times, and then it went away. And then he realized this was something that I had created hmm. within myself. And so he talks about this, how much power we give, uh, how much power there is in being a victim, how it yeah. absolves you of responsibility and how in, in now, the, and the author of this article talks about in today's society, how how many kids suffer from things like anxiety, how many people suffer from these ailments and how you get lots of, it's a, it's a great 
excuse many times, and also you get lots of attention well, and, and special privileges. It's, it's it can be tough, right? Did you read the article that I posted on the forum? The, to- uh, the six six re- or six ways uh, you know you were raised by a toxic mother. I did. It was good. Yeah, and that's I think that's what happens to a lot of people, right? And that's that was just an example of you know these these are common things that uh, you tend to have this codependent relationship. You tend to blame others. There's you tend to seek approval. You uh, what was some of the other ones like? Um, God, what was some of the other ones that were on there? But all these are things that are really really common that we find. And I, I, there's a lot of people that grew up in broken homes, so m- much of these habits and the ways that we formulate thoughts. And our emotions come from these patterns that were created when we were children. Hmm. And they, they just become solidified into adulthood. And you just think that's how life is. But what you don't realize is you've created that. Now, mm-hmm. my mom or my parents may have been the ones that stimulated that. And then I responded. and then I, But it took me years and years of like analyzing myself to, to unpack that and realize like that's not everybody or that's not right that's just this was my experience mm-hmm. this is, and therefore this is how i view everything and i think that's we're in this place right now where well it's it's they call it they call it locus of control and in 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 speaking about about you in particular adam you you did experience a lot of difficulty but you also adopted a an external locus of uh, excuse me an internal locus of control meaning you believe that what you do and uh, that what you do has a much greater impact on what happens to you and that you have more power over your life than external forces. Now, some people and a lot of people, and especially in today's society, we promote an external locus of control. You're a victim. They're oppressing you. You can't do this because you have anxiety or because you have allergies or because you're this skin color, because you're this gender, whatever. And it creates this psychological phenomenon. This is, by the way, this is a real observed and established psychological phenomena that happens where you develop this what's called external locus of control where you could have very easily, Adam, you could have very easily through your circumstances developed a a way of thinking where I'm a victim of all these external things I can't control and that's just the way it is. And a lot of people do that. They don't take, they don't, they don't. Well, I, I think even I did. I think I did for a very long time. And I think it's, I think it's even being as self-aware as uh, I like to think I am, there's certain things that when when it's when it's been cemented into your brain that early on, it's really tough to get anyone to break break that and yeah. think and think otherwise. I'm really excited about this interview that we have on Friday with Michael Wood mm. because we're going to get into some really edgy stuff. Tough I, subject matter. Yeah, man. because you know you, you have a, a police officer who was in Baltimore who witnessed you know a lot of racism and profiling and did a lot of shady stuff as a cop and he openly admits it and talks about it he's a supporter of black lives matter but i have a lot of questions for him in in this in this topic that we're talking about right now because much of our 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 ideas come from our own experiences and it's really hard for people to break break through that and to be able to objectively look at it and think like well maybe that's because Nine out of the ten experiences that I had played out this way. Therefore, right. my brain is the way it's programmed is to predict and then to assume that that's how how things are. And in, and in no one could tell me otherwise because in my brain, ninety percent of the time mm-hmm. that happens. You can't tell me otherwise. But mm-hmm. there could be a person on the other side of the planet or on the other side of the country who has the complete opposite. My right. nine to ten example 
is a nine to ten example of the opposite for them. Right. And so then but we're not willing to to even like admit that that could be a, a possibility. A possibility right? right. Right. So mm-hmm. yeah. So there's no communication that can even occur between the two because it's such on polar opposites of perspective. And I think too, like me being away from America for uh, two weeks was insanely enlightening as far as like understanding where we are in the climate of the culture. Um, just like the, the overarching, um, just like we're overcorrecting right now. We're in this phase of like, um, everybody has a voice, everybody has a concern, everybody has an experience and wants to, you know, present that. And, um, and of course everybody needs to have a platform to speak and have representation. Um, but, um, just we're in a state where we're, we're trying so hard to please everyone and we're so trying so hard to overcorrect you know problems that we see like in everything and it's just it's such this this it's this chaotic um you know like over like negative just cloud that everybody's sort of like uh, experiencing right now and it's really sad like, well there's a couple of things that are I, I you know that i can see that i personally can see pretty clearly and it's first off if you make someone feel like a victim it's easy to sell them something. It's also easy to manipulate them. So who does this? Okay. Well, uh, pharmaceutical companies do this quite a bit, right? You're, you've got, look at the commercials that are on. Do you feel sad often? Do you feel like normal shit, right? Mm. Take our pill, right? So it's, so they're, they're doing that. You have uh, politicians. If they make you feel like a victim, you will vote for them. Mm-hmm. And they've known this for a long time. So they push it. And by the way, they spend a shit ton of money on this kind of presidential elections alone cost a billion dollars just that period of time that's not including all the money that's spent throughout the year to do that news networks news networks if they make you feel like a victim you will watch their news yeah turn on the news you never hear good news on the news no. ever no. why because we're wired to, to to be drawn to bad news it's our own fault we're telling them that's what we want well and that's the thing i think people need we need to start to realize like okay we're being manipulated into believing we're victims. And then it's easy to sell because on the outside, if I say this person over here is a victim, you need to be empathetic towards them. We confuse, we, we start to think differently of empathy. Real empathy is this. Look, if I have a, if I have a child, let's say I have a child that's born with a severe uh, ailment. Let's say that they can't walk or something, right? I'm going to be empathetic to my child, but, but real empathy, uh, real empathy is Wow, that's a tough situation, but I'm going to set you up to succeed, and I'm going to tell right, you right. that you're going to have here's, to. Here's tools. You're going to work. You. You're going to work your ass off, yeah. and you're going to do just as well or better than everybody else. Real empathy isn't. Oh my God, poor you. We're going to take care of everything for you. You don't have to do anything because you were born with this particular situation. There's a big difference between real empathy and the, the fake, uh, condescending type of empathy. Where right. oh, you have ADD, poor you. You know what? Let's let's you know. Or you have this. Oh, you know, poor you. Look at everybody's got something. Right. Uh, some worse than others. But I, if you adopt a internal locus of control, if you adopt the belief that you really control the vast majority of how you feel about things, and 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 you have the control, you hold the steering wheel for most of the things that happen in life. Which is, I can make I can make a very strong av- uh, uh, argument that is very true. Then life is going to feel a lot different. Even if it isn't true, it's going to feel different. You know, if you're, if you, if people in life, if all of a sudden we have the scientific breakthrough, we realize, we just discovered, oh, there is no free choice. Everything is completely predetermined. You have no control. Do you know what will happen to a lot of people? They'll feel depressed, sad. They'll feel 
you know, nihilistic and what's the use? What's the use, right? Mm. Even if it's even if it's true that, you know, having an internal locus control doesn't change much for you, just believing that is better and changes how you think about things. Right. And so that's the that's the big issue I have. So I read articles like that. I'm like, what the fuck are you guys what do you mean men are hundred percent you know, on one. If obviously, if it's voluntary sex, you've already taken the risk. Anytime you have right. sex, you take a risk for getting pregnant. And it's a very strange. That's a responsibility on two parties immediately just consenting to that. It's just insane to me that yeah. that any that <laughs> that someone would write an article like that, and then that someone that people would read would share it and be like, "Oh, this is this is so true." Was it so, a popular article? Did uh, you tell? Oh, it's been going all over the place. Really? Yeah, it's been going all over the place. Wow. Partly because it's probably polarizing too, though you know. Yeah. Probably because it's it's a shock. That's a good to, point. You know, it, it's it, it's its own clickbait in a sense, right? So someone if someone puts that out mm-hmm. there because yeah, I'm just ramping all this so high right now. Well, this is everywhere. also why I think. I mean, this is the the reason why I believe that Trump even got elected. I don't think he could get elected any other time. But we're in such a you know we were swinging so hard left, and and we and you could argue that we needed to. You could mm-hmm. argue that there you know twenty thirty years ago where we were at. Uh, you know that we were. Oh, but if we we wouldn't have had a, we Obama would not have existed if it wasn't for Bush, and Trump wouldn't have existed if it wasn't for Obama. Right. Yeah, and yeah. yeah, and so. But this this it, is it why happens this way. is why this is why I still have a lot of love, empathy, and hope for our, the human race. Is that we tend this? What's neat is that because we're so connected and information can travel so fast, I feel like the swings happen quicker. So like in the past, like you get a president run like that yeah. and then you we have decades of like this hardcore conservatism or you have this hardcore liberalism. You go back and forth and it takes decades for it to turn where I feel like an agenda comes out and it and maybe it needed to correct something and it goes too far. It's not very long before it starts to come back the other direction before people start going, OK, yeah, I think we need to do this. But this is getting a little out of control now. Yeah. And I feel like we're in that state right now. And so I don't have this alarmist type of attitude or no like, i just i just think it needs to get countered yeah, yeah i think it is yeah. though you know what yeah, i'm saying i yeah. mean like i mean the fact that trump is in presidency uh, is is enough in it being said right there like the guy is he, complete he, opposite he of, represents he's a wrench is what yeah. it is and a lot of people wanted to throw a wrench into the machine well, my hope is in those sort of monk debates and those things that you yeah. know that, that that's that, what i like you know what's coming yeah. up is that people are willing to have like hard conversations mm-hmm. with each other because it's like let's communicate Okay, if there's problems, let's communicate about it. Let's get both parties involved. Let's not isolate and be like, you're either on this team or you're not on this team. Yeah. or whatever. Like, no, let's stop doing that shit. Well, right. America used to, it represented for a long time this can-do attitude, this, you know, individualism. I, I, I'm an individual. I'm responsible for myself. I control the things that happen to me. It's represented that for uh, for a long time, and it's... Maybe it's starting to change, maybe not, uh, but if it is starting to change, I think it's because we've had good times for a little while, and I think people, I mean, when we're not challenged by major, major things, we tend to yeah, we find- problems. Yeah, we tend to find things you know, that, yeah. that we think uh, are, or we try to create problems or challenges, and so it just gets frustrating it's, for it's me. Pretty, it's pretty funny when you think about it, and when you, you know, I know you love to draw back to evolution, and you know, when you think back to hundreds of thousands of years ago, the the- the types of things, the dangers, the fears, the things that we were set, challenged with every single day, that it's almost like that was necessary for our evolution. And now 
where we're at in our society. We don't have those fears anymore. Like you're not going to starve. No, a lion's not going to jump out and eat you anymore. So then we seek out and we find adversity. Where's the danger? Dude, we are wired. Just scanning. We're wired for that. Think about it. If you're (laughs) if you're in a tribe, which we which we lived in for most of the time we're on Earth. And people are giving you good news. Hey, yeah, nobody. You know, hey, yesterday nobody got eaten. Hey, over, you know, that's great. And then someone has bad news over here. Everybody wants to hear the fucking. What bad about news. the bad news? Yeah, yeah. because you, <laughs> give me the bad news first, right? But <laughs> it's hard to gauge that now because when you hear, first of all, that when we're in a tribe, you're listening to the people around you. So it is important to listen to the bad news, right? We don't. We, it doesn't work that way anymore. I'm watching the news for something that's happening across the world, something that's happening in another state, but my brain perceives it as right in front of me. Mm-hmm. It, right. it 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 hasn't changed, right? It thinks it's happening right in front of me. When in reality, look, if if, if Justin comes into me, he's like, dude, in the parking lot right now, someone just got shot. I should pay attention to that, yeah, because <laughs> it's Justin, and it's in, like, and you might get shot when <laughs> you walk in the parking lot. Where is this guy? Yeah, it's, it's very different. You know, you know what? You he's know what? In I, that tree. And you know what's yeah. funny? You know what I really like about fitness is when they and they've done a couple of these polls. When they poll people who are really into uh, exercising and working out and do it consistently. People who go in that direction tend to also have the internal locus of control mentality. And it mm-hmm. makes perfect sense. Like people yeah, who are successfully working on themselves. Yes. People who are successful yeah. with fitness in the in a truest sense tend to have this attitude of, I, you know, I want to develop this part of my body, yeah. I'm gonna work on it. Or I wanna, you know, be healthier, I'm gonna work on it, or mm-hmm. I'm gonna train myself to feel better. Because you can also see the victimhood mentality when it comes to health. I mean, there's a lot of people out there who feel like they're victims of, you oh, know, absolutely. I'm on all these pills, like nothing's working for me. Yeah. yeah. You know, genetics. Yes. Yeah, society's diet, Americans yeah. diet, you know, food, cheap, you know, shitty food is cheap and fast food is everywhere and I'm busy and I can't work out. And so they don't take that control and they just sit there and let themselves mm-hmm. gain weight and become less healthy. And then people who tend to make fitness a priority believe, well, yeah, those things all exist, but I have a lot of control right. and I'm going to change those things. And so it's no surprise that people who tend to be successful entrepreneurs or people <laughs> who tend to overcome lots of odds also make fitness a, a big part of their life. Actually, the, a greater percentage of people in that category work out than, than don't. It's, well, a, it's much larger. Well, it's easier to avoid struggle now. You know, and I think that uh, we're not teaching kids like how to, you know, embrace the struggle and overcome the struggle. Like, what does that even look like anymore? Like, it's, it's, that's what, that's like a, a huge foundational quality. You that's know, what, that's why kids. fitness is so rad. Yeah. Because exactly. all those, all those principles and lessons are built into it. Mm-hmm. It is hard. It does that's take sacrifice. Life. It does take self discipline. Mm-hmm. It does take commitment. It does take consistency. It isn't easy. There isn't like a, a for sure answer for every single individual. Like it's that's what makes it so beautiful is that if you take the time to apply yourself to figure out your own personal health and you keep yourself in a very fit, healthy state, what it took for you to do that, man, what the carryover and the, how you can apply that to everything totally. else in life totally. is unreal. It's it's that's why I've always fallen in love with fitness and I always came back no matter what other businesses I've done I've always came back to this one because nothing has been as fulfilling mm-hmm. as as working on myself and being a healthier person like that's part of my job yeah. and the people that listen and that pe- put that together and really put it together I mean really push themselves to a new level you can you take those exact same principles and rules and you apply that in every aspect of your life you'll be blown a fucking way and it and it bleeds into the rest of your life right it, 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 it always almost always bleeds into the rest of your life you know if you ask 
if you took a group of very consistent fitness fanatics who, who had a healthy relationship with exercise and nutrition, so I'm not talking about the, the ones that are unhealthy, and you ask them, what is your favorite, absolute number one favorite thing about your consistent workouts and your healthy lifestyle? And you really boil it down and you really ask deep questions and you boil it down. What you're going to get is a majority of the people are going to say the self-empowerment. And I can say that as well. I love the results. I love the strength. I like the flexibility. I love being able to be mobile. I love the way it makes me feel. I love all those things. But what I love the most is the self-empowerment that fitness has brought me. Mm -hmm. And it's what I grabbed onto as a 14-year-old kid. As a 14-year-old kid who was painfully skinny, very unathletic. I felt like, you know, inadequate in, in a lot of physical senses with with my peers and all that stuff. I took the attitude of I'm going to change something. I'm going to work hard at it. And believe me, that 100% contributed to my attitude to business, mm -hmm. to my attitude with family, to how I handled my divorce and my children and how mm -hmm. I handle everything. 100% it taught me all of those lessons because in that lesson of fitness, I learned after school, you know, I used to come home from school. I go in the backyard. Now, I mean, not knowing any better, right? I didn't know that you know I was working out too much. I just thought I, put, I would go out there for two hours and I'd work out and I'd read books on it and I'd do. And I was consistent as fuck. And I always and I applied myself. And then I could start to see changes. And it just reinforced this attitude of if I want something done, the best way to do it, or at least the way that I, you know that is guaranteed that something's going to happen, is if I sit down and I start to make it happen. If I sit back and wait for shit to happen. It's, I become a, I, again, I become a victim and I wasn't about to do that. And I think that's an attitude that, I, you know, yes, there's potential for everybody. Not everybody's brilliant. Not everybody's a, a pro athlete. Not everybody's got a great family. Not everybody was brought up with money. Not, you know, everybody has their circumstances, but if you look at your life, you could 100% draw a line and say, here's your potential. Here's your potential for how shitty your life could be, and it could be really fucking shitty. In fact, the potential for negative is limitless. Pretty much anybody can get themselves to a point where they're suicidal if they really wanted to. And then the potential for positive. There's some limits there. I could never be a pro athlete, but could I get to a much, much higher part of my potential if I apply myself? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. I could never be a Stephen, Stephen Hawking. He's a brilliant, brilliant, one of the smartest men of all time. But I could definitely elevate myself to my highest potential with that internal belief of, of that, that I have that control, that I can apply those things. And I think that that's the message that we need to start fucking telling people yep. instead of it's 100% other people's fault something happened to you. Like, come on. Right. Wow. Let's, let's, let's change that attitude because it's not doing anybody. What are some of the greatest lessons you think you've learned when, uh, w in health and fitness and training and working out? Like right away I think of, you know, how many times I've failed and how many times mm -hmm. I tried to apply something in hopes that <clears throat> it was going to be the right direction or I would get a certain result and I didn't. I think, I think I've learned about failure more, more in that oh, than, than anything else. That's the lesson. Yeah. Right. Like it's, I think, I think where a lot of people get frustrated and maybe it's part of this, this victim role is, you know, you hear on the podcast, you know, oh, the guy said, do this, do that, do this. And then they go do this, do that, do this. And they don't see the results that they wanted, hmm. and so oh fuck or them. Quick enough, right? Right, fuck them. Oh, they're they're wrong. I'm gonna go try somebody else. And it's like, no, that's not how this works. What it, everyone is so individual and unique 
that no matter what we say on here, sure, we might give you some general rules that help people out, but at the end of the day, you've got to put the work in, and failing is part of the process. Right. Yeah. And you've got to be okay with that, because every time you fail, you learn something new, like, hey, that doesn't work. That's not the path. Or it wasn't the result that I wanted, so maybe I go this direction. Right. So yeah. I think that was one of the biggest lessons that I, I learned with, with health and fitness. Yeah, it's and, constant self-assessment, you know, and it's it's understanding that, you know, things might not like play out, you know, the way you want or what you were doing was working for that one time period. You know, like I was 20 something years old and, and everything was working out great, you know, because I was applying this specific amount of intensity. I was eating this type of food, you know, I was in this environment. Now I'm trying to recreate that and it's not working, you mm. know, and why isn't that? Well, I have to like totally reevaluate now my strategy and you have to be comfortable with like your ego in that, you have to like t totally start over again mm -hmm. and like this, this starting over again process and this change which is real change like real change is difficult I'm, I'm you know as alluring as it is to be a victim and it is extremely alluring because you have to you get to absolve responsibility um as alluring as it is i'm gonna tell you right now try try personal responsibility and try in the internal locus of control because i promise you it feels a lot better there's nothing, it is hard, I'm not saying it's easy, but it's way more powerful and to feel empowered is, in a, is, a, is a feeling that you cannot replace. There's nothing like it. And when you feel empowered, life is no longer what happens to you. It's no longer, you're not just coasting around feeling meaningless. No, you're navigating. You're fucking navigating and, and even when shit goes wrong, you have that sense of, well, what else can I do? And it's a great feeling to have, and it's not something that you should – it's something you should try. And really try it. If you're listening to me right now, listen to this podcast, and you've got – you know, you, you feel like you – you've shit's happened to you. A lot of shit's happened to you. Try this mentality. Try saying to yourself, yes, a lot of things have happened to me, but I have a lot of control too, and I'm going to fucking change that. Mm -hmm. And apply that. Just apply that mentality. Really adopt it. And watch how it feels. Yes, you'll have more responsibility on your head, on, on your shoulders. Yes, you'll probably It'll have still to be challenging. You'll have to work hard. It's still going to be challenging. Way more, way more rewarding. I just I just wrote a blog that talks a little bit about this. Where you know I was looking at some statistics. I wrote a whole blog on on how to build your on how to build your butt. And so I, before I wrote the blog, I did a little research, and I saw that uh, butt implants have uh, have grown considerably over the last uh, five years. More and more women are getting butt implants, or more and more people, but definitely more women. And I wrote in the article that it annoys me a little bit, and it's not because I think people shouldn't do what they want to their bodies or because cosmetic surgery is bad. It's uh, totally up to you, do whatever you want. It's because I know that the butt is a muscle and that you could develop it, and I know why a lot of people are getting butt implants. It's because they got some shitty routine online, went to the gym, applied it, doesn't work, fuck, I need to go get butt implants. Mm -hmm. And it's part of what we're talking about right now. It's that, it's that they're, they're applying something, it doesn't work, and rather than trying to mm -hmm. figure out the right thing to do, because there is a right answer, they're I promise avoiding you. avoiding the difficulty. I promise you could build your butt if you apply the right things. But because they, they try and it doesn't work real quick, they're like, I'm going to go do this, this surgery, which is not the easier option, by the way. Mm -hmm. It's actually a harder option. <clears throat> Costs more money, a lot more complications. You got to recover and all kinds well, of I'm, shit. Well, I'm dealing with that right still right now with my testosterone. Like it wasn't like this, you know, X, Y, Z, oh, do that. I'm fine. I'm good. And I treated it like that. Like I ha I went from feeling terrible, right? We're not, what am I, nine months into this whole thing or 10 months into this whole thing. 
and you know talked about those first three or four being some of the worst times literally of my life as far as like battling mental depression and trying to deal with that hormonally and then I started to get really consistent with my training I started using the juve I'm starting to do all these things that okay this is supposed to help me out and I and I saw this little increase and it was like oh cool you know I'm I'm coming back you know I feel really good and I took my Everly Well test and you know I scored in this you know, lower but normal range. That was like a victory for me. Yeah. And I got so excited that like, okay, I fucking fixed myself that I kind of let off some of the consistency of some of the things that I was doing. I didn't uh, tailor back at all the marijuana like Sal did. And I just retested again. And I'm like, I'm, I mean, I'm about the same. I'm like two points lower, but I haven't progressed. And it kind of, the, the first initial response when I opened it, I was I was depressed. Mm. I was down. I was bummed about that. I was like, fuck, I didn't mm. fix this. Mm -hmm. You know, and, and instead of just saying like, oh, fuck it, give up. I'm fucked forever. Let me get back on a, back on a cycle, start taking HRT again. It, it, I'm very much so tempted to do that. Like, I just want to, I want, I oh, want to sure. feel, I want to feel great. Like, mm. I want to feel, I want to have a, a high libido. I want to lift like I can know I can lift. I want my strength back where I know it can be. Like, I want all those things. And it's really tough because I've already told myself, I committed already that I, bare minimum, I would give myself a year to a year and a half of consistently trying to figure this out. And can I get this up naturally myself? And hey, I, ha I was on the right track doing some of the right things. I got lazy with some of the consistency that I was doing. And then the results showed that when I did the test. And it's like, it's it could be very easy for me to take that Oh fuck! You know it. Fuck it. It's 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 going to be this way forever. Lost cause, yeah. Right, right. Not even try, but I'm determined to try and figure this out. And that's it. And there's no. And look, here's the thing. Here's the thing. There's no guarantee. Right. That you're going to succeed. No. But that's not the point. Right. The point isn't that you're guaranteed to succeed. The point is that you're guaranteed to have an attitude about it that's going to serve you in a way that makes you feel empowered. Because at the end of the day, if you try everything and you do everything and you fucking like you will. <laughs> And at the end of the day, you're like, it didn't work. It's not working. Mm -hmm. That's a way different situation. That's a way different mentality to go in and get HRT than saying, you know, I gave it six months and I didn't do what I was supposed right, to. Right, right. Because I, I know deep down inside of me, there's there's things that I could do better. Mm. I mean, and, and using marijuana as an example, I mean, I consistently smoke almost every night. And so that's a something that I know that I could potentially cut back. I was trying to do everything else without doing that. And now it's like, okay, well, this is something that I, I, if I really want to see this continue to increase, maybe I have to go this direction and I have to do that also. And in addition to that too, like I was really consistent at the beginning, like doing the juve light and doing all that stuff. And now I'm like, ah, hit or miss when I can, I do it. Where before I was like on this regimen, like I've got to make yeah. sure I get 15 to 20 minutes. And you know, I, I, it's definitely one of those things that if I'm going to get it up naturally, it may be something that will be a part of my life. I may have to sacrifice and let go of something that I enjoy like cannabis on a, on a more regular basis. It might have to be a more semi-regular basis or never if I care that much about increasing that. So, you know, and that's a tough pill to swallow for someone like me. And it'd be very easy for me to just slide at back. No, into at that. no point have you felt sorry for yourself. Which which is which is which is great. You know what yeah. I mean? At no point have you sat there and been like, poor me, poor right. this and poor that. And you know, it's all it's been this attitude of, all right, what can I do? You right. know what I mean? Here's the here's the cards I'm dealt. Right. What can I do what, with what's this? What's my next move? What can I do with this? And yeah. so and I, I don't, you know, I don't I don't want to get people confused. This doesn't mean that you know I'm not empathetic or that you shouldn't be empathetic towards people. It means you should be empathetic in the in the truest, realist sense. 
You know, when you really care about someone, when you truly care about, when you, because there's a lot of false empathy out there. There's a lot of oh condescending bullshit empathy. When you really fucking care about someone, like, like your kids, like my kids, I really do care about my kids. Mm-hmm. Does that mean I give them candy all the time because they want to eat candy all the time? No. Sometimes they don't eat. I don't give them candy because it's not good for them. Does that mean that when you know they they have a challenging situation that I go and bail them out every single right. time? Yeah. Oh oh you know oh like, honey you have to do this project. I know it's hard. You know what? Sit aside. I'm gonna do the project for you. I just had no. a moment with that with my son who was having a really hard time understanding this math equation, and you know he was crying and was like super frustrated. I'm like, you know I could easily be oh, okay here and I'll just walk him through it and just do it for him. Right? I'm like no, this is a learning moment. Mm-hmm. How do we overcome this? How do we like, you know, come back in and address this? Like this is going to be a continual issue that's going to arise. You're going to, you figured everything out. Like you're a pretty smart kid. Like you haven't really had to face this very often, right? This is a, this is a, you know, a moment that I had to like, okay, look, we're going to, we're going to address this. Like you don't understand this problem. And then that's totally a normal thing. You know, like, how do we, how do we figure this out? And so we had to go through the steps and, and really spend the time and it was difficult and it was, it was, you know, it was grueling. Cause like I had to like be committed to kind of like wait and not like interject, <laughs> you know? And I'm like, come on, why aren't you getting this? You know, I'm getting frustrated, you know? <laughs> but like, you know, that was a learning moment for me because I really wanted to help him. Yep. But I couldn't. Yeah. Yep. You know why? Because I just, I, he's not going to have the fucking tools to learn that and, and you, overcome it. And because you truly care about him. Because yeah. if you was fake, if it was false empathy, what you would have said would have been like, you know what, son? It's not your fault. You can't do this. Uh, it's, yeah. you know, some kids are smart. You have this problem. Yeah. You, know, you have this issue. And you know what? Let me just do it for you because yeah. it's not your fault. And, yeah. and that would not help him at all. And so if you really have real empathy, you will fight against the victimhood mentality and you will try to empower people and you will try to help people help themselves. At the, at the end of the day, that's the goal is to help people help themselves. This quaz brought to you by Organifi. For those days you fall short on getting your organic veggies or whole food nutrition, Organifi fills the gap with laboratory-tested certified organic superfoods to help give your health and performance the added edge. Try Organifi totally risk-free for 60 days by going to Organifi.com. That's O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I.com. And use the coupon code MINDPUMP for 20% off at checkout. All right, first question is from Benjamin Soul. Hey, Benjamin. Does the amount of protein you eat in a sitting actually matter? There's that old saying, if you eat more than 30 grams of protein in a sitting, you're not going to use any more than 30 grams. <laughs> we laugh, but this was a myth that I believed for a really so long time. So did I. Yeah. That's why I'm laughing right for, now. For a long time, I believed. I remember it. I'd look at a protein shake like, oh, it's 50. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I can't That's even wait. Much. I'm going to yeah, waste it. Yeah, I'm just going to shit half of that yeah. out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was it. That was Could real. you imagine if this was true? Like, uh, what would happen to, to humans for most of civilization? <laughs> They'd well, hunt like you a, discard like all those nutrients. They'd hunt like, like yeah. an animal and they'd be like, yeah. you know, they'd eat it all. Um, and then, you know what? We starved. Yeah. I'm, not, <laughs> I'm not even going to use half of it. Yeah. 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 So this was this is created. This is a myth, total myth, created by uh, and promoted by the supplement industry. Surprise! To surprise. Support their uh, the small meals uh, myth because if they if you believe that you need to eat every two or three hours and that you need to have. Uh, up to but no more than 30 grams of protein, which, by the way, happens to be the amount of protein that's found in most uh, protein <laughs> powder. <No. laughs> Conveniently. Exactly. <laughs> if they promote that and they push that and you're an average person who goes to work or goes to school 
And so you think you need to eat six meals a day. The odds that two to three of those meals will be one of their shakes, one of their supplement shakes, is very high. And so it's a brilliant way to get people to buy and consume protein supplements. But this is totally I, I think they also, and correct me if I'm wrong, I think part of the science they used to try and support this was uh, the amount of protein the body can assimilate at once, right? Mm-hmm. So even though, so you could consume... 90 grams of protein, and then your, it takes about an hour and a half to two hours for that to basically get converted over into energy. Oh, right? longer. It takes, uh, you, your body will, because there's a lot of enzymatic processes and things. Well, that's your what Your body I mean. will it, utilize carbs and fats before proteins. It actually spaces it right. out. Right. Yeah. So I think I think they took the, the science that supports the assimilation of protein and how long that takes. And therefore, if you eat more than 30 grams in a single sitting, you know, it's going to be hours later before your body could even use that, or it would just end up getting turned into waste and you would shit it out. And so I think that's what they try and use, use a little bit of information and science like that to support their claims that your body doesn't utilize it. But the, what's so, when you think about it, and I remember we talked about this a long time ago on Mind Pump, and I think you said it really, it's just like so obvious. Like, okay, if someone ate 5,000 calories of all protein in one sitting, like, would they not get fat? Would they, yes, of course yeah, they would. Yeah. And if that what was a, like, what a hack, right? right that what, would, an ima- what an amazing hack! <laughs> right, if you if you only got thirty grams of it, you know what I'm saying? Like You're all, all the all the rest of it just yeah, goes away. You know what I'm saying? Like don't yeah. use no, any of it. Yeah. Hey, you want to see? Here's a simple secret to never get fat with your with your meals. Yeah. Eat it all at once. Yeah. No, your body will actually. Uh, if you ate, let's say you ate ninety grams of protein at one uh, uh, at a sitting, your body will utilize and assimilate about nine grams uh, per hour. Actually, it's a slow process. It's a slow process. Your body breaks things down and slows it down on purpose so you can utilize it. Now, there are studies that, that uh, confirm this. There are studies that show that you know eating more frequent feedings doesn't really have a huge impact on protein synthesis and at the end of the day doesn't impact muscle growth. In fact, they've done studies where they've taken athletes and had them eat the same amount of calories and macros and everything in two meals or in four or five meals. And what they found was no difference. Yeah. There was no difference in performance, muscle building. Well, this is also how I decide if I'm going to use a protein shake or not, too, because I think for some, well, not for some, it's obvious, right? We've we've created this fake thing called time, you know, 24 hours and a clock and think like, so we all think that like our body works on this 24 hour macronutrient clock that, oh, okay, I weigh 220 pounds. My body needs 180 grams of protein. So in that 24 hour clock, if I only get 160, I need to get a shake. Well, not if I had 220 yesterday. Mm. You know what I'm saying? If I had 220 yesterday, I'm plenty fine for today. And so the only way that you'll see me get my shake is if I have multiple days that I've run back to back where I'm I'm not hitting adequate protein. Okay, right. now it makes sense. Like, okay, mm-hmm. yesterday, right, yesterday I didn't get it. Today I'm under by 40 grams. Okay, I could probably add some protein into my diet. I, my body's probably, especially if I'm training, right? And I had a good hard training mm-hmm. session somewhere in between there. Yeah. So I think I think we have this this misbelief of of thinking about our our body's macronutrient needs on this 24 hour clock, and it doesn't really matter like that. It's dude, it's, if you could, if if protein because pow- when protein powder companies make their serving size, there's a there's a, a certain serving size that they try to stick to because they found that more than that, people don't want to take it. Uh, and so mm. 30 grams is this number that they kind of invented yeah. because that's the amount that you fit in two scoops of protein. Believe me, if it was 35 or 40 grams or 50 grams, that's what it would look like. That's what your scoop would look like. It would look, it would, it would, that's the number that they would give you. Yeah. It's completely fabricated. It doesn't, yeah. 
It doesn't help you uh, whatsoever. Now, here's the thing you should consider is your digestion. Some people may have an issue digesting more than 30 grams of protein right. at a sitting, in which case, and you know, you might get indigestion or bloating or whatever, in which case, well, yeah, then don't eat more. Obviously, that, that's going to be, a, you know, if I ate 200 grams of protein at a sitting, right. I probably would have digestive issues, which then affect my health and then can affect muscle growth and all that other stuff. So that's the thing you should you should pay attention to, not this weird like you're not going to utilize or absorb yeah. more than thirty grams. Uh, Just completely of constructed number that that's a general blanket statement for like everybody not considering all individual variances and like no like I, I never trust numbers like that that are like a hard <laughs> you know stance. It's totally just created. It's yeah. just created to serve. Yeah, I, well, like I remember company. reading. I remember reading the the studies that they use to support this, and it's not. It's exactly what we're. It's it's along the lines of what you said, Sal, about like your body being able to only assimilate like nine sure. nine grams of it per hour or whatever with that. So they did the math. Like, well, if you can only assimilate nine grams per hour, you multiply that over the day. That means the body, and you break it down per meal. The most you could really assimilate now, is let's this look much. at your workload. Let's look well, what you're doing, and like, let's look at it carries over to the next day. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like if you. If you ate 240 grams of protein today and then tomorrow you only eat 160, it's the average of the two. It's well, not what's, what's, it's not a different a different whole different day for you, you it's, know. It was it's right. a it's a part of a it's a part of a bigger lie that continued to to grow. And that's why we believed it to be truth because the first lie that we believed that was sold to us was you need to eat small meals throughout the day. Mm-hmm. And then they said it boosts protein synthesis throughout the day so it builds more muscle. It tells your body that you're not starving, so you burn more body fat, and then you can't assimilate more than 30 grams of protein in a sitting. So it was a part of all these lies that we were led to believe. So by the time we got to the 30 grams of protein in a sitting lie, I fucking bought it. Of course I bought it because I already bought the other lies that led to this one. Right. Yeah. And so it became a part of the you know of the of what we you know we call you know fitness common knowledge. Which is, you know, it's infuriating at one at some point because, you know, when I started to figure this out, I was like, oh, fuck, these fuckers totally lied and none of this is true. You know what's funny is that the evidence is actually is actually counter a lot of the stuff. For example, the evidence shows that staggering your macronutrients, right, right. protein yeah. intake, having and a calories low day and then a high day yeah, is better. Right. Way better you know, for assimilation. Right. Yeah. Because the, what they said, what, what they were, t- what they taught us and what I believed was, consistent protein intake, consistent calorie intake every single day was best. Constantly throw amino acids, constantly throw calories every single day, the same amount. So if you need to gain weight and that means you need to eat 2,500 calories a day and 150 grams of protein a day, that's what you did every single day. And you ate at the same times every day and every meal had the same amount of protein and every single man, it was just because they're looking at it just like as a math problem, right? Like, like this is this is going to equate to this, and this can be this consistent, you know, a uh, uh, repeatable process every single time, right? But the but the reality is, it doesn't work like that at all. In fact, we evolved eating a lot sometimes and eating nothing sometimes, and sometimes eating a lot of carbs because that's what was around, and sometimes eating a lot of fats and proteins. And so, when you feed your body, what they find now is like they've done studies on this. Well, they'll find people. They'll compare groups of people who are trying to get leaner and they'll put all of them on a, let's say, 500 calorie deficit on average every day. And then group one will have a 500 calorie deficit every single day. Group two will stagger. So some days it's a 100 calorie deficit. Sometimes it's a 600 calorie deficit. Sometimes it's a maintenance and so on. But at the end of the week, they equal out to the same deficit. The group that staggers tends to keep more muscle and burn more body fat. They also see this with protein. Protein 
you get better spikes in protein synthesis when sometimes you have a low protein day and then you introduce more protein again. So staggering seems to be more effective than the old myth that we were, you know, that we bought, that we were sold. Right. So that's the reality. Reality is, uh, yeah, first of all, it's fine eating more than 30 grams of protein, probably beneficial to do so. Yeah. It's also beneficial some, uh, many, sometimes to eat less right. than 30 grams of protein. <laughs> yep. And, you know, watch what happens to your body. Some of my best gains come from, you know, having high protein day after having two low protein days right. versus having the same amount all Agreed. the time. Next up is Jazzosaur. Yeah. Yeah. My jazz is sore. <laughs> Can using lifting straps during farmer walks be beneficial or is it counterproductive to the purpose of farmer walks? Oh, lifting straps. Oh, that's a, de- that's a decent question. Yeah, that's a good question. You know, uh, here's my. It's, I, it's definitely not, it's not counterproductive. So I will argue that. Yeah. I, I will argue it's not counterproductive. Well, what's the productive part of a farmer walk? Right. And then we got we got to start with that, right? Because you, you're getting a lot of great. You're eliminating, yeah, one vital component. Yeah, you there. are. You're you're definitely limiting grip strength. Yes, but you're not you're not eliminating your your trap stabilization. You're no. retracting your shoulders, being able to carry Still that stabilizing load. the load, and and yeah, yeah your your muscles are definitely getting yeah. work. The argument I'll make, and this by the way, this doesn't apply to like the high, super high level, ridiculous strong athletes. So what I'm about to say applies to. 99.9% of uh, of who's listening right now. This isn't for the strong man who can, you know, farmer walk with 700 pounds or the bodybuilder. Right. This is for everybody, including myself and including the guys in this room. And here's the thing, if you can't hold it, then you may you actually own it. well, you may actually be causing yourself you may set yourself up for more risk for problems mm-hmm. because your grip is a if it's the limit it might be a limiting factor to protect you a little bit. Like I know I so I've done farmer walk, so I with map strong, we include uh, heavy carries as part of the work sessions. And this it was the first time I'd ever done heavy carries consistently in a workout. I've always done them, but it's always been thrown in here right. and there. This was the first time I did it consistently, and I got fucking great results. Yeah, great I was going to say, that has to carry into, you know, all the rest of your lifts that you did. You bench, you know, deadlifts, like everything else, like, had to be affected well, by Well, I that. got to the point where I was doing 485-pound uh, farmer walks with a trap bar, just my grip, and I, and it was very challenging, very difficult. Now, could I have walked with five hundred and fifty pounds or six hundred with straps? With straps, yes. Yeah. Would that have been but why? way more dangerous? But why? Yes. That's a, it, what it, it's not counterproductive, and that's why I wanted to clear that up. But it's but why? It doesn't. Mm. You're not getting that much more benefit by strapping up, other than feeding your ego. Right? Exactly. Typically, it's an ego boost. Right. I mean, when I do our farmer carries in here, and this was before we just got the new trap bar in here. I mean, I just grabbed the heaviest kettlebells we have. I mean, I'll tell you right now, yeah. walking 50 yards it does the job good, just with fine. Holding on to them thick ass kettlebells, like, and the, they got a wide grip. Yeah. You have to account oh, for. Well, dude, that's that's that. a good point because when you do farmer walks, part of the the form. Because remember, form is important with exercise, right? When you're doing farmer works properly, the goal isn't to walk with as much weight as possible, period. The goal is to walk with good control right. and good form. Now, if I'm loading a bar so fucking heavy that I can't hold on to it with my hands, that's probably means that my form is not going to be great. I'm probably kind of – and that's almost what it got to when I was doing the 475. Mm. Now, I have really, really strong hands. I have a really strong posture chain. I could deadlift a lot. But if I put straps on and walked with 550 – Say what? I said due to heavy masturbation. Yeah, Sorry. Yeah. Heavy, going. heavy. <laughs> if I if I walked, Rigorous gripping. If I did it with straps and it went up to 550, my form wouldn't have been ideal. I would have carried it, but my form wouldn't be ideal. The other thing too is this. 
Your hands connect you to the world. Yeah. Literally, anything you try and do in the real world, you if you want to lift something or pull something, you have to be able to grip it. You, there's no other way to do this yeah. naturally. Our hands are designed or we evolved, however you want to word it, to be incredibly strong. Our hands are supposed to be very, very strong. The problem is we never train them. And then a lot of people, lifters, use lifting straps all the time. They get really strong backs, really strong biceps. Their grips fall behind. And then they have this whole like, oh, I need to use wrist straps. I need yeah. to use straps. Then you're the reliant on them. And I really, and I, I'm not like condemning wrist straps or like belts or anything like that. I just tend to think like if I'm competing, it makes sense. Like if, if, if it's part of the competition, if it's allowed, if other competitors are using them, then, you know, that's that's a component that I'm, I'm going to consider and put it and implement it into my training mm-hmm. program. Otherwise, if you're an average person, it just does not make any functional sense to me to include Well, it's, that. I use it this, I, they're in my bag, right? They're in my bag right next to my shoes and right next to my belt. And they get pulled out of there occasionally. And that's it's and I utilize it as this tool and, and I've used it for lots of different reasons, but it's definitely not something that I want to teach myself to get used to having to use. Like again, like the shoes, you know, the idea is that I work on my ankle mobility so I can get in that deep of a squat. Mm-hmm. But do I still use it because I know I'm not all the way there yet? Like, I mean, if I could have a, a beautiful barefoot squat, there would never be any reason to use a tool like like squat shoes. Mm-hmm. But because I came from so far away from that, I could barely break parallel and it's taken me a really long time to work to where now I can ask to grass squat. But even then I'm still not all the way where I want to be. So occasionally when I go really heavy and it's not what I'm doing warm up or 200 pounds, when I start pressing or squatting 300 plus pounds, I might throw my shoes on just because I'm pushing a weight that I I might be compromised a little bit. And so I want that little advantage just to protect myself. See, the, the difference with squat shoes and a belt, though, is they offer a little bit of protection. Wrist straps don't. It's not like you need to use them to like protect well, your wrist. Well, your no. Hands. So I'll, I'll, I'll show you. I'll tell you how I've used that in that, this case. So wrist straps, I, just, I used them the other day, first time, and literally at least a year. I can't remember the last time I used them for deadlifting. I rarely ever do it, but I did it the other day. And I did it the other day because I, this day, I literally was just, I really wanted to work on my my negative in my deadlift. You know, a lot of times we get into this lifting really heavy and, and us just ripping up and then just letting the weight fall down. Sure. And I wanted to resist it. I wanted to actually put a lot of emphasis on the eccentric motion of the deadlift, which a lot of people I think neglect. And so I'm only doing like... 315, which is really light for me in a deadlift, but I'm taking like a four second negative on the deadlift. And I didn't want my grip to be the limiting factor for what I was trying to, the the adaptation that I was focusing on there. So I wrapped up and I used that so I I could lock my wrist in and I could just think about my hinging at my hips. Like using a condom. Yeah. What? <laughs> not really. You know, sometimes you, sometimes you want the protection. Yeah, <laughs> right, guys. Not the, the safety yeah, at all. Nothing like that. Yeah. Uh, but babe, you, I you can't get, go. I can't go as fast as I could go. But when you I get, work. <laughs> you get, would be a, yeah. You get what I'm right. saying, though, yeah. right? Like, yeah. so there's 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 times that I'll, I'll pull these tools out of my bag and I will utilize them because there's something very specific that I'm trying to do, and I'm I'm not worried about the one time I'm deadlifting and worried about my forearm strength diminishing or not being able to hold it, what I all I care about that day is that I'm, I'm trying to focus on something. And I, it's now I don't have to think about grip because it's all locked I think, in. I, I think there's isolated incidents where right, you right. use this. That's but, an example. But here's the thing, you know, I, I, a lot of people don't realize the full capacity of grip strength because 
we never train it and we never test it. Your hands have an incredible capacity for strength. We evolved from fucking primates for for you know for fuck's sake. Like we can have incredibly strong hands. If you don't believe me, go feel the grip. Go go try and swing a hammer with some with some construction workers for a day and watch how your hands fall apart. Those guys will swing it around like it's like it weighs a, like it's a feather because they've been doing it for a long time. Yeah. The hands can be very strong. Turn a, a wrench for for a while with plumbers. I did that one time and my, my forearm fatigue so fast. Hey, look at uh, look at um, uh, Olympic lifters. Olympic lifters can jerk a weight off the floor with incredible speed and power, five or six hundred pounds, which probably on their grip feels like a lot more because of the speed of the lift. And they can still hold on to the bar, and they use tricks like using well, a hook grip or I'll, whatever. But I'll, to to add to your point, to test this, I challenge someone to do this. Go do heavy farmer walks without any straps. Don't go to fatigue. Literally do like one or two sets, and then go over and do some like heavy bench press, and see how much you feel. It way easier to stabilize the dumbbells, mm. and how much easier they're to control them. It's like a prime. Oh yeah, it mm. primes your 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 form and your CNS so well. Like that's one of my favorite ways to use the farm carries i'll grab those kettlebells i'll walk up our our gym two two or three times and then i'll go especially when i'm gonna do a heavy chest day which sounds weird because it well you would think it doesn't have a lot of carryover into that but i've noticed a big difference when i'm having to hang on to them kettlebell them heavy kettlebells then i go over and i go unrack you know 100 pound dumbbells throw them up to go chest press them I'm in such good control, my grip on them, and it's a big difference. You have all the slightest light grip or a soft grip on dumbbells, and you're pressing them. They're already unstable, unstable because of their they're independent. And if you have a weak ass grip on them, it's it's crazy different. It's just there's there's such a capacity for hand strength. And look, here's the deal: for a lot of my lifting career, I used wrist straps. I did too. I, I used them for a long time. Why? Because the bodybuilder said that you know use it, you hit your back more, you can use more weight. I was concerned about using more weight. And so I used them for years, even when I deadlifted, when I mm-hmm. rode. Anytime I did back day, I had my yeah. wrist straps. I used them when I I used to um, uh, power clean all the mm-hmm. time. Yeah, and mainly just because I I wanted to make sure that I had like that accounted for. Like the, that, the grip part of it, like just to have a solid grip uh, made things so much smoother and the form was way better. Well, but. one year, you know, I was uh, messing around and wrestling with my dad and my dad has worked hard, you know, blue collar his whole life. And plus he was a judo guy when he was a kid. My dad's hands, his grip is like, they call him vice grip when he, when he did jujitsu with me. <laughs> and I remember grappling with him and, you know, I lifted weights and I was a strong dude, but he would grab my arm and I was like, holy shit, like I, I, this guy can manipulate me with just his grip. Yeah, he's like crushes you with a handshake. So yeah. I decided uh, I'm never going to use wrist straps again. Hmm. Now, it took me about a year. It took me a year to be able to lift what I could lift before with wrist straps yeah. after. But I got to that point. And now I'm at the point now where my grip rarely, rarely is a limiting factor. Yeah. If I can't row a weight or I can't pull something really heavy... It's rarely because my grip gives out. It's usually because I can't lift the weight. Well, and but farmer it, walks for me were just so essential in that process, like mm-hmm. building that grip strength. Like that took me a long time. Like you said, like a, over a year to develop a good solid grip strength that what I could apply to deadlifts. I could apply to you know like power cleans or anything else where I was like reliant on dude, uh, wrist straps dude, to, to to control that for talk me. Talk about a primal muscle. Like I, I dare you to try to find a man who doesn't work with his hands or who isn't a grappler or who isn't somebody that's very physical for years and years and years, look at their forearms. Look at the muscular development you'll see on their forearms. It is a very primal muscle. It signifies strength to the point where 
even when they do polls of women, when they ask women, what areas of the body do you find attractive? When women are asked, forearms is always in the top. Believe it or not, people don't think that, but you ask a woman, if she sees a man roll his sleeves up and he has muscular forearms, it's an attractive thing because it's a display of real physical strength. Not all muscles do that. As long as it's not on one arm only. Then it's weird. You know I mean? yeah. yeah. But not all muscles do that. You know what I mean? It's like upper back, back, you know, obliques, strong forearms, all those things, if you look at them without realizing it, you could look at somebody and say, oh, that person's like real world strong. You can yeah. just tell. And so, yeah, I, I think we just neglect our grip so much that we think we need lifting. Because I hear people say, I need lifting straps because otherwise I can't row the weight and ask them, well, what are you rowing? Oh, you know, 200. Like, well. You definitely don't need them. You definitely shouldn't use them 80 to 90% of the time. 80 to 90% of the time, you should not be using them. But are they a tool? Can you use I can see that. I can see uh, there's been definitely places in the last five years, even though that we've been talking about this so much, that I still have used them. I still find uses for them, but it's so rare. I mean, I'll get 50 workouts in before I mm -hmm. find a time where I find it applicable, where I'd say, okay, I'm going to implement this into my routine today. So mm -hmm. I, I, an exercise like that, no, it's not counterproductive, but yes, why do that? Like why when you should be, I, you know, I think training I, the grip is, you know, I think, I, walk, you know, yeah. on, on the farmer walk talk and it, cause I see this a lot on, on Insta stories because it's, it turns into this, you know, dick measuring thing of how much you could carry across the room, mm -hmm. which I get it. But when I teach it, I was just teaching Katrina the other day cause she was going through strong and I'm like, no, 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 slow, slow down as, as slow as you can go. Like f concentrate on every step that you take. You're and, treating it like a hypertrophy. Actually. Yeah. I was like, and, and think of it like your pot and think about your posture. Like I, I want you to think of your, your chest up, your shoulders are back. I want you to feel the way your heel, then your yeah. foot strikes on the ground. Like, and then as your grip starts to give out, then I could see yourself speeding up to get to the other side to set it down, but really take it controlled and slow and challenge yourself and, and then feel what you get from it versus just trying to you know, hustle across the uh, mm -hmm. the gym, you know, hanging on as like much as you're in a competition. Fun. Right. <laughs> yeah. Next question is from VMA, Mr. Black. What's the order of operation you follow for getting someone healthy and strong? For example, tracking nutrition, walking, workout, sleep, etc. Which one comes first and why? Oh, uh, you, you got to tackle the, the, the most impactful things first. And, and what, yeah. what I mean by that is, which of those will impact your health negatively or positively uh, the most immediately? And yeah. for me, it's sleep right. immediately. Like if you lose, if you have shitty sleep for two days, one day, they can actually, you can actually see it on your IQ test. You can see it in your performance, your rate, uh, the risk of getting in a car accident goes through the, the roof. decisions you make nutritionally, it's Everything. all affected. Yeah. Sleep has got to be number one because you can have a bad nutrition day or a bad nutrition week. And it's not going to have nearly the impact that poor sleep will have. So that has to be the first one for me. Then the second one I would say is uh, nutrition. Um, and just because, again, it's one, of those, it's one of the most important things. But not, you don't have to go perfect with nutrition. Many times with clients- No, I think it's a mistake. I think a yeah. mistake that people make when they, when they start to address nutrition is they go from one extreme to the other. They, you take somebody who's got terrible eating habits, they hire you as a coach- and you start coaching them, and all of a sudden you you put them on their you know tilapia fucking asparagus and rice type of diet. It's like, whoa, dude, this person was eating like shit just like literally a week ago, and you didn't you went this complete opposite mm -hmm. side. Like, no, I and I, I go nutrition first before sleep, not because I disagree, because I agree with Sal one hundred percent that you know you lack sleep enough and you'll die eventually, so yeah. you can't go without it. I just think that 
you know, when I start speaking to optimizing sleep, um, most people for the most part are getting okay sleep. I think there's, I don't, I, I don't think I had a ton of clients where everyone's, oh, yeah, I hear you saying. Well, they you just know, get like sleeping, like in terms of hours, like I got X amount of hours and it's not really a good determiner. Right. Of so what quality I, is. I speak to nutrition first and, and the way I, the way I speak to it first is by having them track because everybody is individual. Everybody is going to be completely different on their, the way their eating patterns, the foods that they're lacking or not lacking, what nutrients they need or don't need. And all I want to see is, and I, that's what I tell them, like, don't try and impress me. Eat the way you normally eat. I just want to see your pattern so I can see where, where we can start. And then I, you know, I've talked about this on the show many times, something that I know I was doing different than anybody else that I knew that was coaching uh, virtually was I would introduce something to their diet. I wouldn't take anything away at all. I didn't give a fuck if you were eating McDonald's and shitty ass food and making bad choices all the time. I looked at the diet and 99.9% of the time, there was always things that people were lacking that I could introduce into the diet. And what I knew that if I, I found somebody, which common areas would be, you know, not getting enough fiber, not getting enough protein, um, some of these things like this were, I would say, okay, or not getting enough vegetables and greens or not getting enough fruit in the diet. So I look at these things and I'd say, okay, you know, add this, you know, continue to eat the way we're eating, but just add this into your diet. Now, what I know is that if that's how they normally eat and they're, and they're lacking tons of vegetables, when I have a client all of a sudden add a salad every single day into their, their diet, naturally all of a sudden something else has to go, right? Mm. And then so it, it automatically counters itself really well. And then it's an easier thing for people to stick to, right? It because, is. You know, the other thing well, I was thinking too, because I'm thinking in terms of clients, uh, because I'm a trainer and because people would hire me to train them, I know the order of operation of what would be important if things were off. So I'm referring to sleep. I'm referring to someone who's poor sleep, right? So we'd look at that first. But if someone hired me as a trainer, the reality is I would start with workout first. Now, why? Because they've already agreed to that. You know what mm. I mean? They're coming to me they already. They hired you for that. Yeah. And so if I talk about nutrition or I talk about this or that, other than the workout, it was harder for them to adhere. Sometimes the, the first place I would start many times, because the easiest place to start with someone is like, okay, we're not going to change anything. You're coming to see me twice a week. We're going to work out first. And then I would slowly, because that, we yeah, have to consider that so, too. Yeah, but if someone came to you and said, I'm a blank slate, take me, talk to me about everything. Yeah, I, that's different. Yeah. Right, that's right. Different. Like you're right as a trainer. Well, and you could also consider the fact that like everybody, like you're, you might get somebody that actually is getting decent sleep. You know, they've made these changes nutritionally, but like, you know that they, they need to lift some weights. They need to move. Like movement is, you know, a little bit more of a priority versus, you know, or the other end. We just don't see it as consistently. I think that people have really mastered, you know, uh, dialing in the nutrition and like tracking. And so that's a big one, you know, initially to address, but, um, you know, th th there could be people that come in where I'm like, like, you know, let's, let's start this movement process. I know like your job is very limiting as far as movement is concerned. Um, and you've, you've already addressed the sleep and you've already addressed the you know, nutrition. So, you know, whatever has the most deficit right now is what mm. we're going to kind of bring to the yeah, forefront. What I, what I notice with clients mostly, and typically this is what, the, this is what it actually looks like. Like if we have a blank slate and people will do what I say, then I can pick what I really think is most important. But usually it's not like that. Usually it's someone coming to ask me about exercise or fitness or whatever. And so this is what it actually looks like for most people. They'll come and see me and we'll start with just the workout. That's usually where it starts. Then little by little, they'll start implementing things with nutrition. Sometimes that could take a long fucking time. I've had clients where I've trained them for, and we'll talk about nutrition here and there, but if they're not ready, 
and they just want to train with me, that's fine. We're just going to train. I've had clients who train me as long as three years who didn't do anything with the nutrition. Then finally, because they were consistent with their workouts, because they started to see and feel a little better, then they started implementing you know stuff with the nutrition. Then boom, you know next you know thirty pounds lost in three months after three years of you know no fat loss. Sleep can be difficult as well, but mainly because a lot of people don't realize the importance of sleep from this particular sense. Uh, first off, the human body masks sleep deprivation pretty fucking well, and you can take things like caffeine to make up the difference. People also think that the time they go to bed is their sleep time and that's it. So I'm getting, you know, oh, I'm getting seven hours because I go to, or eight hours because I go to bed at this time and I get up at this time. They don't realize sleep quality makes up a huge, huge difference because then you talk to them and, oh, I wake up, you know, two times every single night or... Uh, well, it's one of the hardest things to coach, you know, like very to, to get somebody to understand uh, what that even looks like, what the ritual looks like leading into it, like, you know, the process of, you know, addressing... You know, whatever it is that's like the mattress, the way you sleep, like, uh, um, you know, just like your entire routine, you're like peering into their personal life where they're more uh, willing to kind of go into like, well, take me through a workout and let's start with that. And then, mm-hmm. you know, and then because even nutrition for a lot of people is a very uh, personal, personal thing where it's like, you know, we, we add this, this component of, of, uh, social elements, you know, this is family time. This is this, that, the other. So to, to break habits that are already firmly established, I think that one, a lot of times it, it, it does take a lot of yeah, pushback. At least people know with nutrition though, that, okay, I need to work on my nutrition. They, they know it. But sleep yeah, is a, not willing. Sleep's a tough one because no, sleep, people don't talk about their sleep being bad until it's really fucking bad. Yeah. Right. You know what I'm saying? Like, like it, there, there's definitely people who will be like, okay, I, I have issues with sleep, but th- at that point, it's usually well, they dismiss it right away because of their work schedule. They'll yeah. be like, oh, I can't fucking, you know, yeah. like I'm. This is what I have. I tell you what, man, I I make it a priority. I do. I have a sleep routine every night. When I go off of that, it's not like it's, it doesn't destroy me. It's not like I I'm I'm ruined from it. But I can tell a significant difference. My performance, I can tell tell the biggest difference is my sharpness on the podcast. My cravings will change. And I'm sure if you were to test my hormones and inflammatory markers and all that stuff, you'd be able to clearly see a big difference. And it's literally the difference between me, you know, at, you know, nine o'clock at night, shutting the lights off, going by candlelight or dimming the lights, wearing blue blockers, relaxing, going to bed at 945 or whatever, or just going straight to bed. Really, it's the difference between those two no, things. No, I, I think a lot of people are just, because I was this way for a very long time, just unaware that I wasn't getting great sleep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You just don't know. You know, you don't realize that you're not getting good sleep. Just like a lot of people don't think that they're eating that bad. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of people just don't, because what is bad? What's bad sleep or what's bad food? Like, it, you, you don't necessarily- They don't have anything to compare yeah, it to. Yeah, and you don't know what optimal looks like. You have, you've you never actually fed your body what it really wants and needs. You you just, you think you may, you avoid bad food, so therefore you think you eat well. Well, no, that's not true. Just like, you, because you sleep at night and you get X amount of hours or whatever, you think you sleep great. Like, no, you probably don't. You know, and I, I personally thought I was a, I was fine at sleeping. I, you know, I was always a little restless, but I just assumed I was that way since I was a fucking kid. Yeah. You know, I tossed and turned. It took me an hour to two hours to fall asleep, and then I fall finally fall asleep. But I never ever prioritized it and thought like, okay, well, maybe there's a reason why that is. Maybe this sitting on the computer or being on my watching TV till eleven o'clock at night or playing video games like I used to do as a kid right before I go to bed, like. 
maybe that has something to do with that. Like I didn't ever put that together and I ne- it never felt like it was hindering me that much that I needed to address it. And then all of a sudden you put a little effort into that and you go, holy shit, you know, you wake up and you get, and I used to always, I used to hate mornings. You know, I'm still not a big morning fan, but a lot of the reason why I hated mornings is getting out of bed was just, I was groggy, always groggy and had a hard time getting up. But I just, again, figured that's how I've always been. So I think a lot of people, when it comes to nutrition, I mean, all of these things, right? Nutrition, workout, sleep, they're just unaware mm-hmm. that they they are not doing what's optimal. for Just because you go to the gym and you lift weights doesn't mean you're optimizing. You're not doing the best thing potentially for you. That doesn't, just because you go to sleep at night doesn't mean that you're optimizing it. So for me, I'm addressing nutrition first because I, I think that's the the biggest the biggest rock for a majority of people that I can start to help and move. And then after that, I'm probably talking towards the sleep to make sure that we're getting it. And then the walking or the the movement, I, I'm when I'm tracking nutrition, I'm also tracking steps so that those work simultaneously for me. When I send people out for a week, I say, you know, where are your Fitbit or your Apple phone or where the hell you have. And when you report back to me, I look at a week's worth of movement. So how many steps are averaging a day and then their nutrition. And then from there, I make my adjustments. Next question is from DH Bodybuilding. My parents say they have trouble losing weight due to their age and slow metabolism. They are in their early 50s. Good Thoughts. question. Yeah, this, this is cool. This is the age, uh, the age reason, or I, you know, the age excuse. Uh, that's a very, very common one. Now, is your does your body's potential for performance, muscle gain, and fat loss decline as you age? Yes, of course it does. As you age, your body does lose its potential for its performance for how strong and, and limber and mobile I, you can be. And all that with stuff. that, though, I want to say that the same token, you can get better year over year. Oh well, well you could be you could be somebody who at yeah. at at forty you were better than thirty, and at fifty you were better than at forty. You and it's can right? you can, but let's say you're maximizing your potential the whole time, it'll decline. But here's the other here's the point that I was going to make. Yeah, who who the, the, the fuck is doing that? Yeah, and but the difference between <laughs> your well us hopefully I think, but you know the difference between you and your peers. Uh, in your same age group, the, the 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 chasm between the two of you becomes massive as you age. So, I'll give you an example. Like you know, you you get a twenty year old that's fit and watches their diet and takes care of themselves. Dude, just go to a, a reunion. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You compare that twenty year old to another twenty year old who doesn't really exercise, doesn't really take care of themselves that much. Not a and big difference. Whatever. There's a difference, but it's not huge. You do it with a fifty year old, and they don't even look like they're in the same age category. You do it with a seventy year old. And it's the difference between I can't take care of myself and I'm completely independent and I can do yeah. everything for myself. So it makes a tremendous difference. Whenever people ask me, you know, am I too old to work out? Am I too old for this? I say you're too old not to. I would, it, as you get older, it becomes that much more important and makes a tremendous, tremendous difference. Now, as far as potential is concerned, it definitely changes, but the potential still very, very high. And like Adam was, I think what you were alluding to, I, somebody who's 50 who takes care of themselves, like Doug, is in better shape, better mobility, better strength, better performance than someone who's 30 that just goes to work every no, day and comes home and sits on the couch. Absolutely. I could take somebody mm-hmm. who, and because this is, con- let's be honest, there's not a lot of people like ourselves now. I mean, we're, we're the minority of, sure. right? When you look at the general population, most people spend a majority of their life not working out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I would get somebody in their 40s that would say, I, they would hire me just like this, 40 or 50 years old, and they'd be like, you know, Adam, I know I know that I can't look or feel like I used to in my 20s. And I'd stop them like right away. Like, I mean, no, it's not true. Like, 
you haven't been working out or training. Like you, you played sports when you were 20 or 17 or whatever, like, and you haven't done really anything since then. Oh, just hang on. We'll be, I'm going to put you in some of the best shape of your life right now. Mm -hmm. Because if I can strength train you and get you eating correctly, even at 50 years old, I can put yourself in a metabolism that was, is far healthier. I mean, you take some, let's figure this out like mathematically, right? So if you're, Take a take this this person who's fifty because let's take our, your parents and maybe my parents here who you know my parents are in their fifties and they really have never really consistently exercised or worked out. My mom's yeah. done maybe a, a two month stint in her life multiple times and that's it. Right? Maybe walking and restricting from food is the most dieting she's ever done, but she has never really strengthened. I've never been able to really get her to do that. If she actually hired me and I actually trained her to do that, I guarantee. That I could, if she did that with me for at least six months to a year of weight training and dieting, I could put her in the best physical shape that she's ever been in her entire life. In her fifties. In her fifties. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And now, and so to your point, Sal, you're right. Like you can't if you take someone like us who's been tra- weight training for years and years sure. and years and dieting years and years. Yes, as age goes on, naturally things are going to slow down and decline a little bit. But that's not most people. Most people that say these things are the people that haven't been training forever and now they're they're looking at it like well fuck it I'm already 50 mm-hmm. right you know why go back and try and fix all and, this and the most important form of exercise for for people as they age is weight training by mm-hmm. far by far it's the only form of exercise that directly combats what happens to your body as you age if i were to make a list of all the ailments that tend to happen with us as we age loss of mobility loss of mm-hmm. strength loss of bone density uh you know injuries that kind of Resistance training uh, yeah. combats all well, slow metabolism, all that stuff. There's a lot more to address the, the the further you push it out, right? So like the more time under your belt of like solidifying all these patterns and habits and uh, lifestyle things that you've you've done like year after year after year, and like now you're just addressing this. Like there's going to be a, a, a significant. Uh, amount of time to you know really like attack all these different variables you've accumulated just over like this time span so yes it is going to be easier for somebody younger to you know achieve this like physical peak Mm -hmm. you know that they can you know get to versus somebody like later on that has established like shit patterns but uh, on the same token, it's not a lost cause. Every every bit of an improvement from there is an improvement, you know, going forward. My most consistent clients always, always, always were people who were a little older. So, if, you know, when I'd get a 20-something-year-old that would hire me, it was very rare that they'd stay with me forever, even if money wasn't an issue. When I'd get a 60-year-old that would hire me, I think, you know, there's definitely the disadvantage of age, but there's the advantage of wisdom. They would see the benefit. They'd li- plus they would listen to the trainer much, much more, uh, much better than somebody who's young. They'd feel the benefits, and then it became a part of the routine. Like, oh, two days a week, I go see Sally trains me, mm-hmm. and this is what happened. And they were very consistent. And I, I think it's a great, it's a, it's always a good time to start working out. But if you're in this age group, it's the best time because right. you don't have time to lose, right. uh, mm-hmm. and things will start to catch up on you. And man, I can't stress this enough: you will separate yourself from your peers. So oh, yeah. much, and I'm seeing this now. You know, I'm 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 39 years old now, and I remember I've been working out since I was 14. And I remember, you know, my family members that were right around my age, and as we got older, you know, I was a little bit more muscular, a little stronger, all that stuff, of course, because I worked out. But it wasn't this huge difference. Oh my God! Now, oh, now yeah. when I'm around like family members who are like 39, I'm looking at these dudes, and I'm like, wow, you you fucking, it's real. Now there's a big difference between us because now yeah. I'm 
fit and you've got a gut and you've got back and knee pain. Yeah. You know what I mean? Now you're complaining about your back and you have Dude, to go take time I, off of work because of it. It was kind of hilarious when I when I played in that scrimmage game, you know, for football. Uh, and I'm 38, but uh, this was like last year. And um, just seeing everybody, I was like, <clears throat> you know, I, I kind of knew ahead of time, obviously, like there's going to be a lot of out of shape guys and people that haven't really been physically active or moving and the movement and just the way people moved was so substantially different. And then there would be like a handful of guys. There'd be like maybe four or five guys out there that like really maintained and kept up their physical uh, performance. And uh, it was great to see that because it, it stood out like fucking nothing I've ever seen, mm-hmm. dude. And uh, unfortunately, you know, like thankfully nobody got really, really hurt. But like there was one guy that got hurt and tore, you know, his, his ACL and all this in, in the game. But um, it was... I mean, it's just, it's hilarious because going back and like looking at just a scrimmage game or something, you know, maybe like 10 years ago was like insanely different. Yeah. Strength too, you know, strength makes such, what I love about strength and fighters will say this, by the way, if you talk like to boxers, they'll say the last thing a boxer loses as they age is their power. Like they'll lose their agility, their speed and that kind of stuff, but their ability to hit you hard as fuck last for a long time. I think it was George, wasn't George Foreman, didn't he win? That's what that old, that old, folk old man tale, strength. The old man strength. It, yeah. It's true. Yeah. Essential nervous system, you know, man. It and, learns. And I know guys who hit PRs and lifts in their late 30s and 40s. Natural. Well, all fuck, natural. look at, look at, we just had Stan Efforting in here, man. Guy's yeah. 50 something years old and he can still, you know, pull Monster. 700 pounds, squat 800 pounds. I mean, it's just, yeah. I mean, to strength see, will stay with you for a while. A, if it's amazing it. to see to see that. You know, when you see someone who now, mind you, you have to take care of the body. And I know that he's adjusted like his intensity and the way he trains and so stuff he like hurt that. Himself. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, it's to to chalk up your chalk up like working out and exercise because of your age and because your metabolism is starting to naturally slow down is a really really bad excuse. And yeah. and it's. It's like the opposite. Excuse, the, the excuse that they use is actually the opposite. It's like, oh, I'm getting older. I don't know if I can work out. Yeah. No, it's like I'm getting older. I have to right. work out. And, you know, here's another thing I'd even touch on. Hormonal changes as you age, uh, you know, they, they happen to you, but boy, do they happen at a much, 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 much lower rate or much slower rate, especially when you lift weights and especially for men. This happens for women too. But especially for men, you take a guy who's taking care of himself with his nutrition and lifting weights, he will have the testosterone level of a 20 or 30-year-old at the age of 70. And this is a fact. I've, done, I've had many, many clients like this where they worked out, they were consistent, they had good diets, they would go get the hormones test, they come back. I had one guy, Jim, good friend of mine. Uh, he was actually helped uh, Doug and I film uh, MAPS Anabolic way back in the day. He was a client of mine. 70, he was a 73-year-old guy. Now he's been working out for a long time. He lifts weights. He watches his diet. Guy looks amazing. 72 years old, goes and gets his hormones checked, comes back, 780 was was Damn. was his testosterone number. 70. Now, yeah. why? Well, he fucking lifts weights and takes care. <laughs> yeah. If he was sedentary, I fuck that. Forget the age. You take a 30-year-old who's super sedentary, do nothing, they're not going to have as healthy hormone levels as he has. Mm-hmm. And this happens, you know, in many cases for women, uh, you know, of course, menopause changes some of that, but resistance training maintains healthy, youthful hormone levels. Resistance training literally maintains youth at the it's cellular level. youth, man. It's the, at the cellular level. I used to love, love when I would, you know, manage gyms. I used, you know, we, members would come in and you'd see the regulars and 
sometimes I'd pop in really early, right? At 5 a.m. And at 5 a.m. is when you'd see the hardcore consistent. Like like 5 a.m., you go into a gym yeah. at 5 a.m., yeah. you see the same fucking Those people, people all the time. will always be there. Always be there. And I used to love seeing the men and women in their 60s who lifted weights who've been doing it for decades. I used yeah. to love watching them work out because I was so impressed by their bodies. There was one guy who was 70-something years old, comes in with this, you know, used to come in the morning by himself. One day he came in the afternoon with this much younger woman. Uh, She's probably in her mid-40s. He looked amazing. He was 70-something, but honestly, he had the body of a, of a probably a fit 50-year-old. He walks in with her or whatever. They leave. I see him the next day, and I'm like, oh, is, you know, was that your daughter that you know came in? He's, he starts laughing. He goes, that's my girlfriend. And I start laughing <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I, Knuckle bump. Yeah, yeah, it used to kill me because I, I'd see these these, these people. And then, I, and then, you know, you'd see I have family members in their 70s who – can't do things for themselves. They yeah. can't reach something above their head or they need help walking you know, up it's, the stairs. You, you know, know? something to, to, to point out too, and we're funny creatures how we start, we make shortcuts and we find ways to move less and less and less. And, you know, a, a lot of the things that attribute to the slower metabolism, it, it's less about their age and it's more about these types yes. of things. Like if you don't use muscle and you continue yeah. not to use muscles, they atrophy, you know? You don't and, have recess anymore. And yeah, yeah, right. And you you stop, you know, going outside and playing or playing sports or just exercising in general and moving a lot. You know, it's it, it normally blows me away when I get one of these clients that are in their late 50s or 60s to start tracking their movement. It's like... Dude, they are like moving. They, you're, you're. It's like weird how we're wired. It's, yep. you're. It's, it's effort, right, to get up and go walk and do this stuff. Like, and you've learned, especially if you're 50, 60 years old, mm-hmm. you've learned how to do it with the re- least amount of resistance. Like, mm-hmm. yeah. So you take the least amount Efficiency. of steps. Yeah, you're, you've become very, very efficient, which can end up being very counterproductive for somebody who's trying to build muscle and build a metabolism up. And before you know it, they're taking 1,500 steps, 2,000 steps a day total, and they're not lifting or exercising. They're not getting themselves even fully erect and into good posture and good, and even using any of their posterior chain to hold them upright. And so they're just rounding their bodies forward and closing, closing up tighter and not moving. And that's really what attributes to this yeah. more than anything else. One thing that happens, especially in advanced age, is when you stop being active, the, your body retreats very quickly. That's something you want to keep in mind. And I witnessed this personally twice where I'd have a client who was in their 70s. One of them was in their 80s and, you know, uh, where they had to stop working out for whatever reason. One of them injured themselves, had to take time off, and then never came back. And, and another one, uh, their, their, their daughter was paying for the training. Daughter decided she couldn't afford it anymore, so I didn't see them anymore. But I'd stay in contact. And the decline in their health was so fucking rapid when they stopped working out. It was alarming. One of them, I had trained her for years, and I know I've told the story several times on the show. I could tell little signs. She was in her 80s, and there were little signs of dementia here and there, which she'd tell me the same story twice within the workout. Just little tiny signs, and if you knew her well enough, you could tell there was something going on there. But it wasn't anything that like crazy or dramatic, and if you guys met her for the first time, you wouldn't even know. Well, she ends up hurting herself and has to take a bunch of time off, is bedridden, their family doesn't hire me anymore. She ends up hiring a nurse full time. I ran into her something like six or eight months later. She didn't recognize me. And I had trained her for three years. Didn't even recognize me. Didn't know who I was. Just a rapid decline. Very, very rapid decline. So the, I guess at the end of the day, here's the advice to your parents. Go lift some weights. Most yeah. important thing they could yeah. possibly do. High priority. For themselves. Uh, and with that, go to mindpumpfree.com. We have a bunch of free guides available. Some of them tell you how to train your arms, your legs, 
your butt, your calves, your midsection. There's something I think there's 11 or 12 guides on there right now. Mindpumpfree.com. Thank you for listening to Mind Pump. If your goal is to build and shape your body, dramatically improve your health and energy, and maximize your overall performance, check out our discounted RGB Super Bundle at mindpumpmedia.com. The RGB Super Bundle includes MAPS Anabolic, MAPS Performance, and MAPS Aesthetic. Nine months of phased expert exercise programming designed by Sal, Adam, and Justin to systematically transform the way your body looks, feels, and performs. With detailed workout blueprints and over 200 videos, the RGB Super Bundle is like having Sal, Adam, and Justin as your own personal trainers, but at a fraction of the price. The RGB Super Bundle has a full 30-day money-back guarantee, and you can get it now plus other valuable free resources at mindpumpmedia.com. If you enjoy this show, please share the love by leaving us a five-star rating and review on iTunes and by introducing Mind Pump to your friends and family. We thank you for your support, and until next time, this is Mind Pump.